Thank you, Elder Benson, for that prayer. It's so good to see all of you here who are in the patio for the in-person service. It's so good to have you, uh, church, who are online. It's so good to, uh, to be together, whether in-person or online. Uh, at the 9.30 service, we had a testimony, and I, you know, we're going to cut that testimony out and post it, and so I encourage you to take a listen. It's a testimony about cell group, and uh, we were so profoundly moved in the morning, so I encourage you to listen to that. And also, yesterday, I was at Feed Brea, and you know, I just want to say it was a time when 14 different churches sent volunteers. So yesterday alone, we had 122 volunteers. And of the 14 churches that were present, the church that I was most impressed with, I'm not biased, but it was Living Hope Community Church. <laughs> Home builders, primers, college students, um, and actually the, the group that really represented all three weeks of Feed Brea were the youth students, the catapult students. They came out in mass. Three weeks ago was the hottest weekend of the year. Last weekend, it was probably the worst air quality weekend of the year. Um, and yesterday was the nicest in some way. But I'm telling you, our, our, our youth students, they came out in force. Not a word of complaint. Worked really hard, uh, humbly and quietly. And they just represented in terms of packing the boxes, putting the boxes in the trunks of the cars that are coming, holding up signs, greeting people. And in the three weeks, we gave away uh, over 3,000 boxes, um, no, over 6,000 boxes to almost 3,000 families. And I am so glad because uh, a lot of the people who are coming out to serve, for many of them, they, they aren't seeing people on a regular basis. And so, especially catapult parents, if you are allowing your students to uh, only go out to a few things, but this is one of those things, I, I thank you so much that you're allowing them to do that in a meaningful way. I so appreciate that. Our passage for today is from Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. If you have not uh, opened up your Bible or fired up your app, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. It begins in verses 1 and 2. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. And so it is a conflict that is happening uh, with Pharisees and scribes. And let me describe these two groups of people. The scribes were Bible scholars. The Jews, when you talk to them about the law, they first thought of the Ten Commandments, which you and I are familiar with, and then they thought of the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. But the Pentateuch has a lot of broad moral principles, but when people ask the question, well, how do you actually apply these things? Uh, so what does it mean when the Bible says, don't covet your neighbor's wife? What does that actually mean in terms of practical applications? And so the scribes, what they would do is they would take these moral principles and build applications or in exact interpretations. So a class of people developed, and what they did was they would set up thousands of rules and regulations to interpret uh, the, the law into practical applications. 
and these were the scribes. The group of people that took these interpretations, which became known as the oral law or the traditions of the elders, the group that was most committed to following these oral traditions or traditions of the elders were the Pharisees, and this is a group that you hear about all the time. And so uh, the Pharisees and the scribes from Jerusalem were sent to check out this new teacher, Jesus of Galilee, and one of the first things that they noticed is that the disciples of Jesus were eating with, it says, undefiled or unwashed hand. The Greek word for undefiled is uh, koinos, meaning common. It's the word we get for koinonias or fellowship. They were, they were eating with common hands. When you and I read this passage, it's a little bit strange why this would be such a big controversy. And I'm going to explain to you why it made sense at that time, this, why this was such a controversy, and how you and I, although we may think that we're beyond it, we're more a part of this problem than we think. So we're going to look at this passage first in terms of washing hands, and then secondly, in terms of washing hearts. Washing hands and washing hearts. I want to begin with a question as to why the Pharisees were obsessed with clean hands. The Old Testament, after all, had uh, certain regulations about washing. In particular, the priests, were there, when they were going into the tabernacle, which was like the Holy of Holies to worship, they, they were to cleanse themselves, wash their hands in a religious manner. And beyond that, for the average Jew, there weren't like daily requirements of washing. But the Jews, because they were living under the Roman occupation, and many of the Jews began to think, you know what? Uh, what does it mean when the, when the Bible says that the, the priests were to wash their hands ceremoniously before they go into the tabernacle? And the scribes said, well, that is to remind us that we're to be holy. It is not a requirement for hygiene, but it is a reminder for holiness. And so what they did was they began to extrapolate, well, if it was good for the uh, priest, it may be something that we ought to do as well. And it ought to be something that we do not only on the Sabbath, but on a daily basis. It might be something that we ought to do not only on a daily basis, but before every meal. Now that they were under the Roman occupation, that if they go into the marketplace, they're not only interacting with things that are probably defiled, but they're interacting with Gentiles, so all the more they're worried about being defiled, dirty. And so they began to wash their hands or the pressure was on, and this is what a hand washing would look like during that time for the Pharisees. Before every meal and before each course, the hands were held with fingertips toward upwards. Water was poured over them and had to run at least down to the wrist. The minimum amount of water was one quarter of a log, which is equal to one and a half eggshells full of water. While the hands were still wet, each hand had to be cleansed with the fist of the other. The fist of one hand was rubbed into the palm and against the surface of the other. This meant that at this stage, the hands were wet with water, but that water was now unclean because it had touched unclean hands. 
So next, the hands had to be held with fingertips pointing downward, and water had to be poured over them in such a way that it began at the wrist and run off at the fingertips. After all that had been done, the hands were clean. Now, it feels unnecessarily meticulous, but if you ever watch a video of a physician going into a surgery, um, they are uh, taught to wash their hands in an immensely meticulous, order-by-order order way. It takes like five to ten minutes. It is almost as if for the Orthodox Jew, in order to have a meal, they were doing a, a, a scrub washing of their hands. You know, for um, us today, we kind of understand a little bit uh, why the Jews kind of felt this way. You know, when the, when the COVID uh, began to happen, we were told to wash our hands 20 seconds, right? Um, I think. Or is it longer? I'm not sure. Um, I, I know that my family, we developed a little ritual to, to make sure that we're clean. So, um, when you come into our home, that one of the first things you have to do is take your shoes off. If you, if you, if you're, listen, you're watching and you don't take your shoes off, boy, that, that's where you need to start, right? We all in agreement with that. Um, and in, the, in front of our house or near it, we have a, a, a glass jar that used to be a kimchi jar and it's filled with, um, with half-cut paper towel and some 70% alcohol. So it, it's our alcohol wipe. When we come in from the outside, we take those alcohol wipes, wipe down our glasses, our keys, our cell phone, and other things so that we are clean, COVID clothes, or you don't, you know, we wear and things of that nature. Um, it began in some way like that, where the Jews were thinking, okay, in order to be religiously clean, we not only want the uh, the priests to wash their hands in a particular way during uh, the time they're supposed to go into the tabernacle, but the average person should wash in the same way on a regular basis. They became hyper-vigilant about washing, and that hyper-vigilance eventually turned into self-righteousness. I can't believe these other people aren't washing their hands in the same way. I can't believe some of these people are going to eat at restaurants, going to church, or sending their kids to school. I'm going to keep my kids from going to school until they're 18 years old because we want to be clean, that type of an attitude. So it went from hypervigilance to self-righteousness for the Jews. Jesus encounters this attitude in verses 6 and 7, and he says to them, and he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, the people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He calls them hypocrites. It's what we know as hypocrites. It is defined in this way, one whose whole life is a piece of acting without any sincerity behind it. The word was used for a mask that you would put on when you act and you pretended like you're someone else, there's a disconnect between who you were and who you pretended to be. 
Their voices are saying, their lips are saying that I honor God, but their heart is far from really honoring God. Jesus is saying something extraordinarily important. Listen, for any of us who think, that, well, I'm not a Pharisee, I'm not a scribe, he's saying there's two of you. Listen carefully. There's two of you. The person that you are portraying, the, the mask that you wear, and the person who is. And there's a disconnect. Listen carefully. All of us, all of us wear masks. All of us are hypocrites in some ways. There's a disconnect between who we are and who we portray ourselves to be. For the Pharisees, the masks that they wore were clean hands. They were meticulous, washing their hands in a religious way. But there was a disconnect between their clean hands, listen, and their dirty hearts. And the reason why the Pharisees were so intent on keeping clean hands because it is easier to do than to be. For so many people, it is easier to do than to be. To do the religious activities than to really love God with our hearts. If you're wondering whether you uh, are wearing a, a religious mask or not, there are two signs. There are two signs as to whether you are wearing a religious mask. The first is this, that we elevate personal opinion to God's laws. We elevate our personal opinion to the level of God's laws because it says that they, these hypocrites, teach as doctrines the commandments of men. They have taken the, the initial like application, the personal application, and they elevated it to the same level as God's direct laws. Now, for disciplined people, it is easier for uh, them and for us to do than to be, to fill a set of requirements and to relate to God as proper worshipers, to say, well, if I just do this, I am righteous, than to actually relate to God. The second sign that we are hypocrites or we wear a mask is that we minimize God's laws to personal opinion. Not only do we take our personal opinions and elevate them to the Word of God, the laws of God, but we take, the word, we take parts of the Word of God and we minimize it, de-elevate it. Jesus says in verses 8 and 9, You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And He said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your traditions. You've elevated the traditions of the elders and you've de-elevated, minimized the commandment of God. Then he gives a practical application for those who may think, well, when did we do this? Verse 10, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Giving honor to your parents was such a high, such a high command of God that it was part of the Ten Commandments, it was the Fifth Commandment. In addition, the Pentateuch said that if you are a rebellious son, that the town had the right, the elders had the right to, to 
drag you in front of the elders and stone you to death. That's how serious dishonoring your parents were. Verses 11 through 13, but you say if a man tells his father or his mother whatever you would have gained from me is Corban that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. Honoring parents was an absolute command of God, a law of God. But what uh, these religious leaders did was they de-elevated it, and one of the ways that they did so is by claiming Corbin. And Corbin is something like this. It's like, it would be like me saying, I'm going to leave all of my possessions to the church when I die. So my home, my, my car, my assets, my, my uh, plasma TV. I don't have a plasma TV, but if I had one, a plasma TV, whatever else, I'm going to give all that to the church. So everything that I own is to the church and, but while I'm alive, uh, by God's grace, I'm going to enjoy it. But the needs of my parents, well, I can't help them because this is all God's. So what, what some of these people were doing is they were using Corbin as a loophole, a technicality, in order to not honor their parents. And perhaps the excuse, the rationale behind it was, I, I don't want to honor them because they're not honorable. Maybe it is a byproduct of deep father wounds. And so they neglect the commandment of God. God not, God's laws tell us not only to honor parents, but honor uh, parents who are not honorable. It tells us to love wives who are not lovable. It tells us to respect husbands who are not respectable. It tells us to uh, obey your bosses when they're unreasonable or follow your government even when they're being unfair. These are all commandments of God. You know that you're wearing a mask when you de-elevate the laws of God and we elevate our personal opinions. The way that we do that on a regular systematic basis is this. We develop a value system, a value system. Now, at the risk of offending everyone, I'm going to talk about politics. I almost never talk about politics. I'm going to talk about politics for the next two minutes, so you better really pay attention. If I were to ask you this question, does God value the life of the marginalized, I think we would say yes, of course. And if I were to ask the question, does God value the life of the unborn, I think we would say yes, God values the life of the marginalized, and God values the life of the unborn. That, that seems like God laws. And then if I were to ask you, which political party more emph more um, emphasizes or holds the value of the life of the marginalized and which political party seems to uh, be more consistent with uh, valuing the life of the unborn. And I think a lot of you would say, oh yeah, this party 
seems to care about the marginalized more, or this party seems to care about the life of the unborn more. And what we do is, depending on our personal kind of opinions, we extrapolate and then say, well, because of this, no Christian can uh, vote this way or this way. Does that make sense? And what we do is make political affiliations or a platform or a candidate on the same par with God's laws. And so what we do is we put on a mask according to our value system. And the masks that we wear are not washing hands, but our passion values. And we do so while abdicating clear commands of God of being kind, of being forgiving, of being compassionate even to those we completely disagree with. We've elevated our personal opinions and de-elevated the command of God. Jesus says that really the problem isn't the washing of hands, but it's the washing of hearts. Verse 15. And in verse 14, he says, hear me, all of you, and understand. And when Jesus says something, hear me, hear me, it means, hey, pay attention. This is what's important. Verse 15, there is nothing outside a person that, is, that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. He talks about what defiles, what dirties, or what makes someone offensive to God. And he says that it is not what comes into the person, but it is what's in the person. Sin it is not a contagious disease that we simply get. Sin is something that, that comes from inside of us. Verses 18 and 19, and he said, it's a bit crude, but listen carefully, then are you also without understanding, do you not see that whatever goes into the, a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled, whether you eat meat sacrificed to idol or kosher beef? Do you not understand that when you eat it, it doesn't go into your heart, but it goes into your stomach and it is expelled afterwards. That those things actually don't defile, mix someone unacceptable to God. What does defile the person is what's on the inside. Listen, the problem is not that we have dirty hands, but the problem is that we have dirty hearts. And I want to say this, that, you know, there are people in the space, you might be of the persuasion that, well, I'm so glad that I am not a hypocrite because, I, frankly, I don't care what anyone says. Uh, you, you might say, I'm doing okay because everyone else sucks. I, I, know, I don't really care what they say. Listen, the most dangerous mask, the absolute most dangerous mask that we wear as Christians are not the masks that we wear to impress other people, but it's the mask that we wear to impress ourselves. It's a mask that we wear 
to somehow convince us that we're someone that we really are not. Verse 20. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the person. It is from within. The problem isn't a dirty hands, the problem is a dirty heart. You know, we believe that we can work hard, try hard, washing hands, to be passionate, to be religious, uh, to, to, do, to be angry at social injustice or whatever it may be, or anarchy. And we may become OCD and judgmental about that, but truth be told, our clean hands will mask the fact that our hearts are dirty. And our true need is not cleaner hands, but listen carefully. And Jesus isn't saying all this to say that the hearts of the disciples were clean. I think far from it. I think what he's ultimately saying is that all of us, each one of us, really, we don't need cleaner hands, but we need, a heart, we need heart transplants to convince us, to remind us that the fundamental problem is that we're not trying hard enough, but no matter how hard we try, it's not good enough. I'm going to ask the band to come up at this time. You know, uh, truth be told, it's not something that we would rather admit to the need of a heart transplant because a heart transplant uh, means that we're confessing, admitting that, that there's something wrong, that, that me as a whole person, there's something wrong that even our religion, even my good works is not enough, that I need to, to give all of that up and allow God to take a hold of it. So would you take a minute with me? Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, we come before you and I thank you for your grace. I thank you that that it is not on the basis of how hard we try, but on the basis of your grace and grace alone that we can come before you. I thank you that, that even though we're so broken that you do not give up on us, and it is uh, by the sacrifice of your son Jesus that we can come as new creatures and we lean into that and that alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.